Hello and welcome to This Shit Really Happened, the true crime podcast where we deep dive into the most disturbing, depraved, and downright gruesome true crimes in history. My name is Em. And I'm Autumn. And Autumn's back. Back, yeah. bitches. Yeah. 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 A little ASMR. Oh yeah, we got coffee this time. <laughs> Timmy Ho's ASMR. We love that. We love that. Usually we have an alcoholic beverage, but this time it's but, just coffee. Yeah, because it's a it could, it's a little bit of relief for that. Yeah, it's about 12.30. 12.30 in the I'm AM. i that right now. In the AM. In the AM. <laughs> Though, you know, if anybody needs an alcoholic beverage right now, it's you. Oh, God. Life is smacking me in the face right now. I just got too many sh- things to pay for. Yeah. And it's just like, I need to make about $1,000 a minute. Yeah, literally. So, so that I can <laughs> afford the things that are happening in my life right now. It all just, it's all always, ha- like, why the fuck does life do that to you? Where everything just, like, are you good? <laughs> yeah, I got stuck for a second. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying, life just fucking smacks you in the face with all the things all at once. It's not like this month one thing could happen, next month another thing could happen. Like, no. It has to all happen within, like, a week of each other. Literally. 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 Stupid. Yeah, fuck that noise. Whatever. So. We had an early start to the morning today. Right and fucking early. Fuck I just want... I was just about to say, just so everybody knows, (laughs) potholes can kiss my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where we live, there are so many fucking potholes. Like, no matter where you go, you're like fucking dodging and weaving and... Pop one of my fucking tires last night. That's what it did. Ridiculous. Fighting for your life just to try. <laughs> Literally. Like, do I take the pothole, fuck up my car? Do I crash? Do I get pulled over because the cops think I'm drunk because I'm swerving all over the place? Literally. Over these fucking potholes. If a cop pulled me over and was like, why are you swerving? I'm like, do you see the potholes? All the potholes. Like, that's why I swore. And I got that fucking speeding ticket. Like, I'm like, wait, when did you get a speeding ticket? Uh, I got it back in February. I just had to court for it on Monday. Oh, shit. 250 fucking dollars. That's disgusting. I am but disgusted. But they are going to drop the ticket, so after I pay that. Yeah, um, well, that's good. They're going to drop like, it, so there's no like, insurance or anything. Yeah, there's, it's not going to be on no points or anything. Cause they, that's good. They got me. They got me. He said I was doing 65 and a 40, but put down 60. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like thanks, I guess. <laughs> you couldn't have put like 50? I know, right? <laughs> or Dude. just not giving me the fucking ticket? The last time I got pulled over, I was doing like 75 and 55. <laughs> like, but the cop let me go on that one because I, ha- I had die dye in the car. And we were on a, um, like, we were going to, we were going to Walmart. <laughs> and the cop pulls me over, right? And he, like, you know, he comes into the window. He's like, where are you coming from? I'm like, pointing to Dida. I'm like, her house? <laughs> he's like, where are you going? I'm like, Walmart. <laughs> and then he, like, looks at Dida. He's like, who's that? I'm like, my mom. <laughs> my mom. You can't tell. <laughs> we, we look like we each look other. really similar. And so he like he's like, oh, give me your license. And he goes back to his car and is whatever the fuck he does in his car. And then he comes back. And he's like, I'm gonna let you go this time. Just slow it down. I'm like, hey, <laughs> uh, And I got pulled over a second time just by myself, and same thing happened. <laughs> I got let me go. I'm like, damn. Like, knock on wood. I've gotten lucky with 
cops letting me go on speeding tickets when I definitely should have gotten a ticket because I was going at least 20 over. Yeah, that was the first ticket I've had in like five years. Yeah, the last time I actually got a ticket, I did get pulled over for speeding. It was when I was coming home from Jersey Mm -hmm. and I had my friend Kelvin in the car with me because he was staying with a friend in Buffalo. So I was dropping him off on my way through Mm -hmm. and um, I got pulled over in fucking Marathon, New York. The, Which I was don't like, even know where that is. Uh, pff, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it was like the halfway point between, I had already driven like probably like three and a half hours outside of Newark and I still had like another three and a half to go. So if I would have gotten a ticket in fucking Marathon, New York that I had to go to court for, I'd have been fucked. Because either way, I would have to drive three and a half hours out of my way to go mm-hmm. Marathon, New York for court. Um, but I was leaving a gas station and I was, you know set right back out doing 55 but unbeknownst to me there's like a small section of the road where it was 35 before it opened back up into 55 and I didn't even fucking realize that the cop pulled me over he's like an older guy he kind of reminded me of like my grandpa but he's like he's like you know how fast you're going I was like yeah I was doing like 57 and I'm like is is it's 55 here and he's like it's 35 I'm like uh, and then he like asked me where where I was coming from, and I said I was coming from Newark, and like where I was going. I said I'm going to Buffalo. He's like, why aren't you on this highway? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not from around here. I'm following my GPS. I don't know. I just had to get gas. Yeah. And so he ended up on um, giving me a ticket for because it was kind of like sleeting out, and I had mm-hmm. my wipers going. But you know, old Gertrude didn't have automatic headlights, so you yeah. had to flick your headlights on. Yeah. And, like it didn't automatically go on with the wipers. Um. And so he ended up giving me a ticket for not having my uh, headlights on when I had my wipers going. And I just pled to that. It was like 80 bucks. But because I pled to it, it was on my driving record. Damn. <laughs> and it's, yeah, when I went to get insurance, when I, you know, got off my mom's insurance, it fucking, they quoted me like 90 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And then when they actually ran my driving history, mm-hmm. it just pumped it up to like 118. Damn. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually think that that ticket has fallen off since then, which is nice. How, so. how uh, far do they go back on driving history? Uh, three to five years, depending on what type of violation it is. If it's like a speeding ticket, that's usually like five years, but any like, like smaller, that's like mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. Like accidents are usually five mm-hmm. on anywhere three to five years. So, hey, any of you guys listening, if you have shit on your driving record from your friendly neighborhood mm-hmm. insurance agents, <laughs> um, yeah, three to five years usually. Five years is usually like for sure it's going to fall off. Sometimes it'll fall off in three. Oh, okay. So just depends. Depends on, you know, how offensive your offense was. <laughs> how offensive it was. <laughs> Were yeah. you, did you have an offensive ticket? Did you, was your ticket egregious and offensive <laughs> did you really fuck up <laughs> you know and i went to court and somebody was there for a trial for a fucking parking ticket a trial really yeah bro just pay your fucking parking tickets dude. speaking of that i have a parking ticket to pay <laughs> where'd you get a parking ticket on my street i was parked the wrong way oh <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is the cops never go down that street so i think my fucking nosy ass neighbor called what the hell fuck because, that dude because any other time i've done it before and they've never done that what the hell? why can't people just mind their own fucking business like He's seriously a hater. it does if it does not concern you in any way shape or form mind your fucking business that's all i gotta say about that i wish i could just like take him out of his kneecaps <laughs> take a crowbar to his kneecaps because he's annoying. Fuck you, bro. Here's a crowbar. Crowbar, meat, kneecap. Literally. Get what fucked. the fuck? Get fucked. What the yeah. fuck? So, hey, just a general lesson for all y'all that may be being a little too nosy. Don't be. 
Right. Because you're going to piss your neighbors off. If it doesn't affect you directly, keep your fucking nose out of it. You're going to piss your neighbors off. And then they're going to go at your kneecaps with a crowbar. And so then just, you're going to be on our podcast. And then yeah, we're going to be talking about you on our <laughs> podcast. Speaking of, mm-hmm. um, the case I have for us today, I said, uh, what did I say? Lucas is leaving. I said taxidermy and eyeballs. Yep. <laughs> taxidermy and eyeballs. Taxidermy and eyeballs, both of which are very relevant to the case that we have today. So we're talking about uh, Charles Albright, also known as the eyeball killer. Great. We love that. So we've got... He is a serial killer, you know, smaller victim pool than some of the other serial killers we've talked about in this. But Carter just put Ralph in a headlock. He does that. <laughs> <laughs> the cats are fighting. Speaking of taxidermy. Speaking of taxidermy. <laughs> if you guys don't stop, you're going to be taxidermy. I'm going to turn you into taxidermy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, well, you ready to just jump into this shit? Let's get it going. All right, we're talking trigger warning. We're talking about eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> talking about eyeballs and taxidermy. I'm, I'm trying to. I've like. I'm trying to skim to see if there's anything else that I. You know should, what's like, crazy? That reminds me of a Criminal Minds for. episode. A lot of like a those crime Minds. shows are based on like real life cases. There's a Criminal Minds episode where the guy was murdering people and putting their eyeballs in taxidermied animals. I would, you know, I would not he doubt was, that it was something. He was killing like, them and taking only their eyeballs and, like, leaving the bodies. Yeah, that's mm. very yep. akin to what was going on here. Yep. So, yeah, a lot, like, like a lot of those crime shows base their episodes off, like, actual real-life serial killers and cases and stuff. Well, there's about, like, 15 seasons of Criminal Minds. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know that people aren't just coming up with this shit yeah. on the top of their head. And there's, head. like, 20 episodes a season. Literally. So, like, so that's a lot of fucking episodes. Which is crazy to think because they're all different and they're not, like, well, a few of them are, like, bunched together about the same one. Yeah, but they have like, a few interconnected ones. Yeah. But, but like, I mean, there's so many different just and true there crime is, cases that you there can is take a Buffalo, from. New York episode. I know. I, I watched it. I watched mm-hmm. it on... Um, like months ago because one of my friends had mentioned she was watching she was binging criminal minds mm-hmm. and she's like oh my god the episode i just watched um mentioned like whatever this mm-hmm. and they're like something about how it like fucking just snows here all the time they were because t- uh fucking rossi brings up that him and gideon uh used to they said that they were um Sledding down Rattlesnake Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, they literally talked Lockport. about Lockport. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah, my friend, she's like, oh my god, I'm watching Criminal Minds, and they just mentioned Lockport. And then there was an actual ep- so that was a different episode, and then there was an actual One episode that took place in, in Buffalo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild. Mm-hmm. But Love I mean, think it. about all the fucking episodes they have. They got to pick a city know, for each right? one. I know, right? I know, literally. <laughs> but I mean, hey, no shortage of weird fucking sickos doing weird but that's the crazy part to think of like how many episodes there are to base it off of things that like loosely base it off of things that have happened yeah i'm sure some of them are like original ideas Mm -hmm. but you know if you got writer's block and you're looking for inspiration you know you go but it's crazy to think how many people out there there are that are like that yeah that are just like yeah i want to kill people literally it's it's insane to think like What's there's like a statistic or something like you pass by like in your lifetime pass by some like two or three people that have like killed somebody mm-hmm. or like are like I wonder if we've a met serial killer. Yet. I don't know. I don't know. I've definitely. I feel like we had a few in our high school. 
honestly, oh man, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried to steer clear of them. Yeah, honestly, for real. I'm not gonna say shit to you. That yeah, way, I'm not. No type I'm not of gonna mist. look at you. I'm not gonna <laughs> speak to you. I'm not gonna breathe in your direction. I'm not gonna be mean or nice. Like we're just gonna people not make speak. it kill lists. I'm just. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to be on that kill list. Right. I do not want to be on that kill list. No, thank you. I'm okay. I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Before right. I fucking get taxidermied. <laughs> All right. So speaking of taxidermy, let's uh, let's learn a little bit about our, our subject of today's case, mm-hmm. Mr. Charles Albright. Great. So Charles was born on August 10th, 1933 in Amarillo, Texas. His biological mother put him up for adoption when he was like born. And he was adopted from an orphanage by his parents, Fred and Del Albright. So Del was like massively, massively overprotective of, of Charles. Like he was their only child, um, and she like was overprotective to like a fucking fault. She was one of those mothers basically that he could do anything, and she's like, That's my baby, he could never do anything wrong. Like she was that overprotective. Ugh. Like she literally raised like Those one type of, of parents literally give me the ick yeah and they fucking end up having children like this because yeah. <laughs> the and kid has been kid. told their entire life mommy's gonna protect you and mm-hmm. you know nothing's ever gonna be wrong because mm-hmm. you're my perfect little angel baby Ew. yeah like literally i read in one of the sources that she kept goats like literally on their property solely so she could like milk them because she thought it was better for Charles to have goat's milk instead of cow's milk. Mm. So she literally, like, got goats and would, like, milk them so she could give him goat's milk instead of cow's milk. Um, she was a school teacher, and so she focused really heavily on his education, and he was actually able to, like, skip two grades pretty early on in his education. Um, he was really smart. The thing about Charles, like, he was very smart, which, like, you hear that a lot about serial killers they have like mad high iqs yeah like why couldn't you have used that to do something productive in society instead you chose mm-hmm. to murder they don't know what to do with their intelligence literally it's wait. like the fucking uh this reminds me of a, a, a criminal minds episode what was it <laughs> Going uh, back, everything everything leads back to criminal minds i forgot which serial killer it was but they said he was like a genius mm-hmm. but it was like based off of a, an actual yeah one. there's there's like so many people like like i think like ted bundy had a really high iq but ted um, bundy was also attractive yeah quote unquote um he's he's got a unibrow i don't, I don't know maybe he was attractive like that but was like using chad in the 70s but like know. using chad michael murray uh, you mean chad zach Mike- efron <laughs> no there's another one with chad michael there murray. is damn yeah because i know zach efron was in the one that was on Netflix that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, I forget what it was called. Fucking extreme. I'm almost positive there's another one with Chad Michael Murray. There probably because is. I love honestly, him. there probably is. You can Google that, and I'm going to continue on. Okay. So, um, as a child, Charles was very doted upon by his mother, and she would even sometimes dress him up in girls' clothes and give him like a doll to play with. So she was weird. Doll was doing some weird shit. Um, Charles was also said to be a very impulsive child, and he would always manage to get out of the yard behind where his mother worked. And it was fenced in, so she was like, how the fuck are you getting out? So she actually searched the fence. She didn't find any openings, but later on she learned that he would literally... Okay. All right. 
what is this called? Oh, Ted Bundy, American Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah, stop casting attractive actors to play serial killers, please. Because, like, I love him, and Ted Bundy did not look like that. No, like, casting Chad Michael Murray and Zac Efron to play Ted Bundy, and then casting Evan Peters to play Dahmer, like, please stop casting attractive actors to play these serial killers. Please, please. Literally, like... Yeah, because then it just it just skews people's perception of things, and that's not great. No. Anyways, so Del goes around, and she searches his fence, like, looking for holes that, like, Charles could have slipped out of. She didn't find any, but she came to find out that what he would do is just, like, kind of walk up to the fence, and he would wait for people to pass by and just, like, ask them to lift him over the fence. The and they would. What the fuck? <laughs> just this random-ass child. I'd be like, no. no I'm gonna keep walking. <laughs> yeah, literally. I'd be like, no. You're I probably don't... behind this fence for a reason, you weird-ass child. I'm Ooh. not. Uh-uh. So, to stop him from escaping, <laughs> what Del ended up doing is she would just tied him to the porch. She, like, put him on a leash. What the fuck? So he this is why he's fucked up. I know. She literally would, like, just tie him to the porch. And he was on a leash. I also heard that at a certain point, she, she'd, like, tie him to his bed, too. So he couldn't get out of bed at night. So, Del was fucking weird. She was, like overprotective of him but also like abusive to him in the same breath it was really weird she had a really weird sense of like what it meant to be a mother to him um she also got him his first gun when he was still just in his adolescence so like of course she did 10 to 12 years old wait what um i'm real texas of course we're in texas of course there's more guns than people (laughs) So, he would use his gun to shoot and kill small animals. Oh, no. He he told his mother that he wanted to become a taxidermist, and it was under her guidance that he learned to stuff and preserve these small animals that he killed. Dude. Yeah. So, she was like, oh my god, just go for it. You're not supposed to kill them. Yeah, like, right, like, ethical taxidermists, like... It's like people that want their pets. Yeah, like they died of natural causes or like it's like something that was done like legally, like people who get like, you know, deer heads stuffed and stuff. But those are like animals that were hunted legally and ethically, not just shot in your fucking backyard. And Del was just like, yeah, sure. You want to be a taxidermist? I got you. Literally, again, she could find no wrong in anything he ever did. So as he practiced his taxidermy and kind of like perfected his craft, he always felt that something was missing with these taxidermy creations he was making. And what he was missing was something that he could never afford to purchase. And these were the like fake replica eyes that would be available to be purchased. I said the, there was a local taxidermy shop, apparently, just, like, in town that he would go to all the time. Mm-hmm. And he would just stand and, like, admire these replica eyes. What the fuck? But Dow was like, mm-mm, we can't buy them. They're too expensive. So when he finished one of his creations, she would just go into our sewing kit. She would get, like, two buttons and sew the buttons as the eyes for his, his taxidermy projects, I suppose. Mm. But he was always like... I wanted those eyes. I wanted those eyeballs. So, like, this is kind of where that obsession around eyes really starts. 
When Charles was 13, he had already begun to now delve into petty theft, and he was actually arrested for aggravated assault <laughs> when he was 13. And Dell, of course, stood by Charles. She's, She's like, like, no, he didn't do it. not, my, not my, my boy. No way, not my boy. Not my angel. Like, bitch, let's, let's have some, like. Let's get it together. Let's get it together. Let's be real here. When he was 15, he had his first sexual encounter with a local sex worker, after which he ended up uh, getting crabs. When he was 15. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, he, uh, he uh, doesn't have, you know, good connotations with um, sex workers, which we'll see is going to play into his uh, future crimes. The next year, in 1949, Charles stole $380 from a cash register, and after a police investigation, um, they found that he'd also stolen two handguns and a rifle worth over $111. So he was out there stealing shit. On, on April 21st, 1951, he was sentenced to prison for theft and receiving stolen goods. And Dell, being as overprotective as she was, actually offered to serve his prison sentence for him. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I wish I Are was joking. Are you fucking kidding me? No, she seriously like went to the like sheriff and was like, I will serve his prison sentence for him. And they're like, bitch, no. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding? No. This bitch is delusional. She literally is delusional. So, of course, when she was denied, she then took to try to basically keep everything like real hush hush. And she didn't want anybody in their neighborhood to know that Charles had now become a convicted felon. So she couldn't serve his prison sentence for him. She was going to do everything she could to make sure nobody in their neighborhood knew that he had been arrested and was going to prison for, you know, theft and receiving stolen goods. He ended up serving only six months. What the hell? Sorry if y'all just heard that. Somebody was honking like crazy. Who honking? Hello. (laughs) Who honking? Oh, kitty soup. (gasps) Goyle soup. (laughs) (laughs) like i said charles ended up serving only six months of that two-year sentence and this kind of was like the beginning of you know it's not super relevant but it's just kind of funny like there was a little bit of a pattern he happened to just get in trouble with the law like every 10 years or so (laughs) like that was just about as long as he could go without getting in trouble (laughs) but every 10 years or so he was into some shit again and getting in trouble with the law um, he only got caught doing these things every 10 years or so, but, like, between these bouts, he was still, you know, doing petty thefts and, you know, being a con man and shit like that <laughs> between actually getting caught by the police. After his release from jail, he attended Arkansas State Teachers College, and he majored in pre-med studies. <laughs> Charles dated a woman named Betty Nestor when he was in college. She actually worked in the college president's office. And Charles had convinced her into stealing keys that would allow him access to multiple places all over the college. So he was taking these keys that Betty got him, like slipping into offices, dorms, uh, administrative buildings, academic buildings, and just stealing shit. Just taking shit. Great. So after being found with multiple stolen items that he had taken from around campus, um, some of which included nude photos he had stolen from a female student's dorm and items stolen from a professor's office... He was expelled from the college, but not actually prosecuted for any of any of the theft. Uh, being expelled didn't phase him, though. Instead, he falsified a degree, stealing documents and forging signatures to make it seem like he had both a bachelor's and master's degree. He said, you want to expel me? Shit, I'm going to fake a degree. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. 
So Charles and Betty got married on December 27, 1954. Um, while they were married, Betty worked as a teacher at a local high school, and Charles basically hopped from job to job, rarely able to keep one for more than three months. Sounds about right. He also continued to forge checks, but was arrested for this in 1965. Again, he did not serve any jail time and instead was sentenced to probation. Um, Charles and Betty ended up separating in 1965, though they would not actually go through with their divorce until 1975. Nice. In 1980, Charles was caught stealing hundreds of dollars worth of merchandise from a hardware store and received a two-year prison sentence. He again served less than six months before he was released. In 1981, while visiting some friends, he actually sexually molested their 14-year-old daughter. He was prosecuted, he pled guilty, and again, he just received probation. He later claimed that he was innocent, but had pled guilty to, quote, avoid a hassle. Like, bitch, you guilty. I hate him. Hate him already. He (laughs) sucks. (laughs) In 1985, Charles was living in Arkansas, and he met a woman named Dixie, and he invited her to live with him. So soon they were living together, he was still not working, and she was paying all of his bills and supporting him. He ended up getting a job actually delivering newspapers, and his route was like very like late night, early morning, and he would use this shift to like he would go deliver his papers mm-hmm. but then he would also go and visit sex workers before <laughs> he came home and he would basically just be like oh i was just my paper route ran late i had a lot of papers to deliver tonight oh, when he was actually going out and you know paying Being sex workers for, fuck yeah charles would stay generally off of police's radar for the next few years until 1991 when he was arrested for three brutal murders all of which shared one same, like, brutal detail. And that was that all three murdered women had had their eyes removed. Great. We love that. We don't love (laughs) No eyeballs. Yeah, that's icky. Anything to do with, like, eyes or trauma to the eyes just, like, makes me shiver. I can't. Oh, I watched this video of, like, a like a scan of somebody rubbing their eye and their eyeball moving I saw how that. far it moves I back in your brain. That. I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm never like, rubbing my I can my never move my eye. I can never itch my eye again. I can never rub my eyeball ever I, again. I, like, really don't, like, I'll do this a lot. Same. If I, like, what I'm doing. I, I, I this is why we need a video right camera. Yes. Like, I do this a lot. And, like, you do what? Literally. What I'm showing is I rub my eyelid and I always do that if I feel like I have something in my eye. Yeah. Because, like, I can't just... Since I got lashes on all the time, mm-hmm. I can't just, like, scrub my eyeball. If it's the day before I get a fill, I'll scrub <laughs> I'm like, fuck it, I'm getting filled tomorrow anyway. Seriously, just, like, go hard. Just scrub the fuck out of your eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do that, too. I always, like, will, like, and, like, comb them out to get rid mm-hmm. of all, like, the loose ones. But, yeah, mm-hmm. otherwise I'm like, scrubbing with my fingertips over my eyelids. Literally. Yeah, but now, literally, the fact that that person's eyeball just, like, bonked the back of their eye socket, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I saw it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I know. I did not like that at all. <laughs> so, the first victim that we're going to talk about um, is Mary Lou Pratt. Uh, on December 13th, 1990, a man was, you know, just coming out his front door to start his day. And he spotted a body lying in plain view across the street in Dallas's Oak Cliff neighborhood. Imagine that shit. You literally, open up your door you and there's a dead go body. Go out to start like, your day and there's just a dead body literally across the street. Like, oh, I'd be shit. Like, 
What the fuck? What I would close fuck? my door and go back inside. Yeah, right call off work. I'd be it. like, sorry, I can't come in. There's like a I body. found a dead body. <laughs> Literally. I'm traumatized. Like, sorry. I'm not coming in today. I just discovered a dead body. Yeah. So this body was of a young woman. She was naked from the waist down and lying face down with her legs spread. Her shirt and brow were pushed up over her breasts and her neck and chest were badly bruised, indicating that her murderer had chosen to beat her before taking her life. The man who discovered her laid a floral sheet over her to cover her and then called the police. At the scene, police noted that the woman had been shot in the head, but there was no blood around her body. So crime scene technicians pretty, you know, speculated and and were able to confirm that she had likely been killed somewhere else and then dumped in this neighborhood where she was discovered. There were no witnesses to either the killing or the dumping, no murder weapon, little forensic evidence, no fingerprints, and no apparent motive. Great. So no way to catch this motherfucker. Yep. So basically they had nothing. Police did take her fingerprints and compared them to their database And it was then that they identified the body as um, that of Mary Lou Pratt. She was a 33-year-old sex worker who was well-known in the Oak Cliff neighborhood of Dallas. Mary Lou was not known to be one of the more, like, quote-unquote, brazen sex workers who were, like, standing in the streets, basically, and, like, waving down cars to see Mm -hmm. if, you know, anybody wanted to stop and pay pay for their services. She was also said to be, like, generally very well liked by those who knew her. Um, she actually even still lived with her elderly parents who had no idea about what she was doing for work. Mm-hmm. So she would basically go out, turn a couple tricks. Sometimes she would have, like, one of her johns bring her home, and then she would literally just, like, walk into the house and, you know, go to sleep in her childhood bedroom, and her parents had, like, no idea what she'd been up to. Great. So, yeah, she was kind of living a very secret life with this stuff. During her autopsy, um, the medical examiner, who was Dr. Elizabeth Peacock, like, that's that's a name, mm-hmm. Dr. Elizabeth Peacock. Mm-hmm. That sounds like somebody who would be in, like, fucking Clue. Literally. <laughs> the Clue mystery Isn't game. there a professor, is, isn't there a Professor Peacock in Clue? Um, there might be, but let me see. I know there's, like, Miss Miss Scarlet, Colonel Mustard. Clue game I think, characters. Yeah, I want to say it's, like, Professor Peacock or something like that. Mrs. Peacock. Mrs. Peacock. Yeah, I'm like, that is, that's like a name. There's Mr. Body, Mrs. Peacock, Professor Plum, Colonel oh, Mustard. Professor Plum. The Singing Telegram Girl, Miss Scarlet, Mr. Green. That's it. Yeah. I'm like, I know there's like a professor, it's Professor Plum and Mrs. Peacock. But yeah, that's like a name that you would hear in like a Ms. fucking. Peach. Ms. Monsieur, Peach. Monsieur Brunette. They're, those are new characters because those were not in the OG no, Clue. No. The OG Clue was like Miss Scarlet, Miss Peacock, Colonel Mustard. Colonel Mustard, Mr. Green, Professor Plum. There's a Mrs. White, too. Oh, I think she was in the original Clue, too. But anyways, so Dr. Elizabeth Peacock, she theorized that Mary Lou was shot in the head with a 44 caliber pistol. When the autopsy, uh, when... She went to go and look at, like, her eyes because she was doing, like, the... Um, just general physical check over before the aut- like the internal autopsy began. She goes like because Mary Lou's eyes at this point they're closed. Mm. She lifts the eyelids and she kind of like has like a yay like a mm. moment. Um, and the reason she did that is because the eyes were gone. Mm-hmm. And she was like, "What the fuck? Oh what my the god! Fuck? Not only did he kill her, he took her eyeballs literally." And it was so like. Um, you know, not shocking just because the eyes were gone, but shocking because they had been cut out with an almost surgical precision. Like, the killer must 
have had to know like just how to slip the knife in around the eyes to not injure any of the adjoining skin. Um, there was there six just stuck a spoon in there and scooped, scooped it out. Scooped it out. <laughs> it literally. Oh, I just I literally just like shivered. <laughs> so they would have to know a how to slip the knife in around the eyes to not injure the adjoining skin. Then cut the six major muscles holding each eye in the socket, and then also cut through like your optical nerve is like thick. It's mm-hmm. like they described it in the source as like rope thick mm-hmm. optical nerve. And there was no scarring, like, until she, like, lifted the eyelid, there was no evidence at all that Mary Lou's eyes were gone. So he, like, did it perfectly. And so she was like, okay, all right, this person definitely has to have some knowledge of... Removing eyeballs. Removing eyeballs. So, like we talked about, there was... No evidence, no motive, nothing they could figure out about, you know, who had done this to Mary Lou Pratt when her body was discovered. Then, six weeks after Mary Lou, um, they found another body. And this is February 10th, 1991, that this second victim was found. And this victim was 27-year-old Susan Beth Peterson. Like Mary Lou, Susan was a sex worker who worked around Dallas. Her body was discovered on... Um, on the same street that Mary Pratt was found on, just outside the Dallas city limits near a town called DeSoto. Susan was found again nearly naked, and she had been shot three times. She was shot in the top of her head, in her left breast, and in the back of her head. A detective named Larry Oliver, who had not heard about the Pratt killing, was called to the scene. He actually ended up accompanying Susan's body to the autopsy room, where, again, the pathologist began the examination and then same kind of thing that mm. Dr. Peacock did, opens one eyelid, opens the other eyelid, mm. and then they kind of, he kind of like motioned for mm-hmm. the detective to come closer. And when the detective looked, he was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Because like Mary Lou Pratt, though this detective doesn't know anything about Mary Lou to make the connection at this mm-hmm. point, but like Mary Lou, Susan's eyes were gone. We're gone. Um, Though police refused at, like, any point during this case to refer to this person as a serial killer, they were pretty damn sure that it was the same person. Right. Because they were too similar, like, in the way they were dumped, the way they were killed, and with the eyes being removed, that they're like, yeah, this is definitely the same person. They didn't use the phrase serial killer. They were calling them a repeater, quote unquote. (laughs) Because I think it... The term serial killer, I don't think, was coined until the late 70s. Mm. So I don't know how, like, frequently it was used. You know, it's obviously used a ton in, like, modern day because it's, you know, something we kind of understand, like, that people can do. They can be serial killers. But at least they made the connection that they were related. Mm -hmm. It's like, I've seen so many times where people are like, oh, wow, this, uh, these two people were killed in a very similar way, but... We don't think we're lucky for only one person here. It's like, y'all are dumb. Dumb. Like, how many people do you think are killing in the exact same way, in the exact same area, just, like, by coincidence? Fuckers. Stupid. Stupid. Like, y'all are supposed to be the experts here. You're fucking up. You're fucking up. Luckily, in this case, though, they didn't fuck up. They Mm -hmm. at least understood that they were looking for, you know, one person for both of these murders. Um, Again, though, similar to Mary Lou Pratt, there was a significant lack of any physical evidence around Susan Peters' 
like the dumping location couldn't really find any on dna evidence physical evidence around her body so again they're kind of like they had two victims but they really hadn't gotten any closer to figuring it out than they had when it was just mary lou Mm -hmm. so one of the lead detectives on this case now his name was joseph westphalen and he's quoted as saying about the case quote we've got to answer three questions number one why is he after he says prostitutes I don't like that word <laughs> um i mean uh, i prefer sex worker but this was back in the 90s so but i also not as PC. feel like i'm not offended because i'm not one so yeah i'm quoting him so he does use the word phrase prostitutes but that i mean that's that's what they are yeah they're prostitutes yeah that's what they are i know it's So, so I'm going to start that quote over. He says, quote, we've got to answer three questions. Number one, why is he after prostitutes? Number two, why were both bodies dumped on that same street? And number three, why are those eyes cut out? Westphalen has... Why is that the last question? Yeah, I know, right? You'd think that would be number one. He saved it for dramatic impact. Number three, (laughs) why are are the eyes cut out? (laughs) Why are they not Bro, that's top of the list. Literally. That's my main concern. Why are we taking the eyeballs? That's number one. (laughs) So Westphalen came up with some theories. He thought that... You know, maybe the killer had something against, like, sex workers because he had gotten, like, an STD, AIDS or something, and he was out for revenge on yeah, them. Yeah, little crabs. Crabs. West Phelan thought, too, that maybe the killer believed the old superstition um, that a murderer's image always remains on the eyeballs of the person he killed, so mm. he would take the eyes out so that, mm. you know, yeah. like... He wouldn't be haunted or Makes something sense. by the women he killed. He thought maybe the killer believed a dead person's eyes would follow him forever. Or maybe the killer took the eyeballs to feel some sexual fantasy. Maybe he wanted to eat them, <clears throat> cook them. <clears throat> so Westphalen at this point, he's just kind of like throwing shit at the wall. I know, right? <laughs> throwing stuff at the wall and seeing if anything would stick and kind of make sense that they can. You know what's crazy? I feel like in every food. episode, there's some type of soup. This time we got eyeball soup. Eyeball soup, icky. <laughs> <laughs> like eyes, like I'm just going off like, like fish eyes. They're not Ooh. a good consistency. They're like jelly. Like your eye is like gelatinous on the inside. It's like biting into. Have a, you eaten a fish eyeball before? No, but my mom has. I was about to judge you really fucking Dye Dye has. And she was describing it. She's like, the texture of it Mm -hmm. was like the most horrific thing I have ever tried. It's like, she said it like burst in her mouth. I'm like, ew. Yeah. Ew. And like, it's, it's bad. It's, it's gross. So like, I don't, but then again, some people will eat like fish eyes and goat's eyes and cow eyes I'm like, ah, that's no. considered like a delicacy. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a huge texture person. Same. So mm-hmm. if the texture is bad, no, like I can be if I'm eating like a piece of chicken and mm-hmm. I bite and it's like rubbery, fat. I'm done. Yeah, I can't finish the rest no. of the chicken. Mm-mm. Same with like red meat. If it's fatty, nope, done. It's done. But if I'll I, if it I right chew off. into something and it's gummy, I will cut it right off. I'm done. Like, ugh, I can't do it. No. So I don't know. Maybe just like rice pudding, can't do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, anything that's, like, like, um, like, gelatinous in texture, see I have, things, a, like, a See, for with. me, it's, like, 
I know how something, how this one thing's texture is supposed to be. So yeah. if it's any different, I can't do it. I can't eat it. Yeah. And yeah. that goes for any type of food. Literally. Any type of drink. If I drink, that's why I can't do pulp in any drink. I, me either. Nothing, no floaty things. Mm-hmm. No, I can't. A drink is supposed to just be a drink. Yes, it's full <laughs> liquid. I do not want to have to chew my drink. <laughs> that's why the Starbucks refreshers, I don't get the little inclusions yeah, in it because it. if I get one up my straw, I'm going to gag. I'm going to gag. <laughs> do you like, you like, you like boba, don't you? Wait, but boba is supposed to be yes, that way. Boba that makes sense. sense. Yeah, it's you're like supposed to get a little, you know, yeah. bead of tapioca pearls yes. in your boba. But do I want a smushy fruit in my no. drink? Yeah, because no. those two, they get soggy. Mm-hmm. I don't no. like it. I'm I don't okay. like it. Oh my god, we just got so sidetracked. Anyways. Speaking of that, I do want to go... I, oh, we're going to go to Target, right? Yeah. I want to get some fruit, because fruit. I really want to make a fruit salad. Fruit, yummy, yummy. Fruit salad. <laughs> so... Again, Westphalen is just kind of throwing shit out the wall and seeing what sticks so they can try to, you know, at least come up with a working theory that they can lead their investigation hmm. on. What is the reason for the eyeballs? Yeah. Because they're like, that's got to be the biggest thing because... He keeps taking them. Yeah, he keeps taking them. And he's killing them in a very, like, methodical way. Like, Ugh. shooting somebody is a very impersonal way to kill somebody because yeah. you don't have to be close to them. Yeah. But taking the eyes, like, taking the time to... Scoop them out. Like, very precisely take them out shows that he had care and he wanted to, like, preserve the I eyes. I care about it out. you. I'm going to kill you and then take your eyeballs. Yeah, right? <laughs> the only thing that Westphalen knew for sure in this case was that the killer came out late at night was strong enough to drag those girls in and out of a car and had some sort of surgical skill. Thank you for pointing out the obvious. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) On March 19th, 1991, the killer suddenly changed tactics. His two previous victims were white and were known to frequent a motel called The Star, which was a known hangout spot for sex workers and drug addicts. Great. On the morning of... Easy prey. Yeah, exactly. Easy prey. On the morning of March 19th, 41-year-old Shirley Elizabeth Williams, a black woman who was also a sex worker, walked out of the Avalon Motel where she worked as a maid during the day and did sex work at night. According to another sex worker who saw her that morning, Shirley was wearing jeans and a yellow raincoat and appeared to be in a drugged stupor as she walked alone on the sidewalk. Shirley was found at 6.20 the next morning, Dumped on a residential street half a block from an elementary school in Oak Cliff. Damn, killed her fast. Yeah, snatched her, killed her. Her naked body was crumpled against the curb, and an unopened condom was found beside her. The fact that it said crumpled. Yeah, she was like, slumped. And she was also, like, in plain view of these elementary students as <sighs> they were going to school. That's terrible. Yeah. Like Mary Lou and Susan before her, Shirley had been shot in the head had multiple bruises on her face and body, and her eyes had been surgically removed. Though the removal this time seemed to be more rushed than the other two had. They found the broken tip of an X-Acto blade embedded in the skin near her right eye. Jesus. Yeah. So police are getting kind of frantic now because they thought they had this killer's M.O. down pat. They're like, he picks up white sex workers from the Star Motel. Like, we know this. Um... Black sex workers had actually even thought themselves safe because they were secure in the thought that he was only targeting white women. Mm-hmm. The murder of Shirley Williams, though, showed them that, like, nobody was safe. safe. Exactly. 
Between the murders of Mary Lou and Susan, Officer Regina Smith, who was typically, they like, they had a lot of officers that were like local and like would patrol the area mm-hmm. where they knew that a lot of these sex workers hung out, mm-hmm. um, A, to arrest them for prostitution, but B, also to just kind of like keep tabs and make sure that, you know, mm-hmm. they were being safe and if anything like crazy was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, like Officer Regina Smith specifically had like, a good personal relationship with a lot of these sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually had like a book with, like, their pictures and their names. Mm-hmm. I think in the source, she called it a hook book. <laughs> like, a hook book? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, mind you, again, this is the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but during one of these days that she and her partner were kind of patrolling the area, um, she ended up discovering a clue that would be crucial to the investigation later on. The clue came in the form of a story from a sex worker who was well-known in the same areas that Mary Lou frequented. Um, this sex worker's name was Veronica Rodriguez. The morning after Mary Lou's body was discovered, Smith and her partner officer, John Matthews, were patrolling a known area frequented by sex workers when they encountered Veronica. Smith was shocked to see that Veronica had a pretty nasty gash on her forehead in what looked like to be a thin knife cut across the front of her throat. When Smith asked Veronica what the fuck had happened to her, Veronica told Smith that the previous night she'd been picked up by a trick, driven a long way south to a field, and she was raped. Oh, shit. The man, who she described as a white man, tried to then tried to kill her, but she managed to escape and ran towards a house. The man at the house just happened to be someone she knew. He also just happened to know the man who was trying to kill her. Mm. Smith and Matthews were skeptical about Veronica's story at first um, because she was notorious for, like, embellishing or just completely making up stories. Mm -hmm. They thought that this was just another one of what they called her pity stories, Mm -hmm. which she often told the cops so they would feel sorry for her and leave her alone and, like, not arrest her for prostitution. Two days later, Matthews and Smith saw Rodriguez again. She was sitting with a balding, middle-aged white man in the cab of an 18-wheeler. While Matthews went to one side of the truck to get Rodriguez and ex- is, like escort her to the squad car and arrest her for prostitution, because like we literally just caught you red-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, Smith went to the other side to speak to the man that was in the truck. She asked him for his driver's license, which he produced. His name was Axton Schindler, and his license said he lived at 1035 El Dorado Avenue. When Smith ran Schindler's name through the computer, he came up clean, except for some unpaid traffic tickets. Um, suddenly, Rodriguez. Like, as she was kind of being pulled out of the car, she starts yelling for them to, like, not arrest the man, mm-hmm. saying that he was the one who had saved her the other night from the man who tried to kill her. Mm-hmm. So, they're kind of like, hmm, okay, weird. So, they look at the address again, 1035 El Dorado Avenue, and they found it strange because this address was not out in South Dallas, where Rodriguez was claiming the attack took place. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, this was an Oak Cliff neighborhood. And this was just a five-minute drive from the Star Motel. Mm. The man in the truck said he had no idea what Rodriguez was talking about. He's like, this bitch crazy. He said he had known her for years, though, and was just giving her a ride back to the Star Motel. Mm -hmm. He said he hadn't protected her from any killer, nor did he even have sex with her. He was just a long-distance truck driver doing her a favor. After this encounter, the officers decided that Rodriguez was just lying again. Mm. Um, and they carted her off to jail for prostitution and hauled Schindler in for his unpaid tickets. Great. Um, although Matthews and Smith would not know it for months after this point, again, a clue to the murderer's actual identity had fallen 
right into their laps, basically. Great. And that clue was that 1035 El Dorado Avenue address. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go back and talk to, talk to, talk to Charles. Talk about mm-hmm. Charles a little bit more. Imagine if we actually talked to one of these I know, right? Well, people would be like, dead. what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he's dead. Um, so after both Fred and Dell, Charles' parents, died, he made the decision to move back to Oak Cliff. Because um, remember, he's, before this, he's living in Arkansas with Dixie. Um, after his father's death, Charles had inherited a few small properties his father owned. And to make some extra cash, Charles decided to rent one of them out. The property was in South Dallas, and the person he ended up renting to was a man that Charles knew as Speedy. <laughs> Speedy was a truck driver whose real name was Axton Schindler. He was known to be paranoid, Axton was, often covering the windows of his home in newspaper, using boiled water to bathe, and spouting off about, like, government conspiracies. He was, like, a fucking nut job. I hate conspiracy people. Yeah. When Charles moved back to Oak Cliff with Dixie, they settled in a home at 1035 Eldorado Avenue. While living in Oak Cliff, Charles picked up odd jobs to make more money as he had quickly blown through any inheritance. He got like $96,000 when his uh, father died, but he like fucking blew through that shit so fast. That's what I need. I need right, an inheritance. I need God, please. So this is when he ends up taking that job delivering papers, and he would use the money he got to fund trips he actually took. Like, he was on a softball team, Mm -hmm. and so he would use the money he got from his paper route to go on trips with his softball team. He was actually very, very well-liked by his teammates, and some recalled that Charles usually even went out of his way to get people to like him. Mm -hmm. Though they liked Charles well enough, some of his former teammates recalled an odd incident that took place a few months before the murders began. This was at the end of one of their games. Some players were just, like, sitting around the ballpark, you know, just talking, talking shit, like, eating candy, you know, just kind of, like, shooting the breeze, whatever. Mm -hmm. And this was when they saw two women in a car, like, do kind of, like, a drive-by. Like, they slowed Mm -hmm. down and they drove by, um, you know, scoping it out, probably. Mm -hmm. Um, After the men joked that the women must be prostitutes, the team's manager shouted, Hey, Charlie, you're single. Why don't you take after them whores? And again, please, I'm quoting... Don't come for me. These are all quotes. I'm sorry. And then they said, Charles replied, quote, hell, I'd kill them if I could. Oof. The manager is said to have reacted with surprise, remarking that they needed sex workers because, quote, whores kept men from chasing married women. Which, fuck that noise. I feel like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, we need prostitutes so we don't try to go after married women. Bitch, just how about you don't fucking... How about stop? How about you stop being a whore? Literally, yeah. Why don't you stop being a whore, you whore? Yeah, you fuck. <laughs> so after the manager said this, um, Charles reacted with very clear anger. And when asked about his reaction a few days later, Charles said that sex workers were a touchy subject with him because his mother had been one. <laughs> Which is like... Just not true. Yeah. Just not true at all. Because Dell was a school teacher mm. and Charles's birth mother, who he had actually met after Dell passed away, and he like had a pretty good relationship with her. On um, his bio mother had even met Charles's daughter, and she was a nurse. Mm-hmm. So like in no way, shape, or form any of the mother figures in his life sex workers. This does suggest, though, that Charles had some messed up version of the Madonna whore complex, which if you're not familiar with that, it's like you have the Madonna who is the ideal woman, the perfect picture of like femininity, what a woman, what a wife, what a mother is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And obviously the other end of that, the whore, quote unquote, is 
exactly what it says, you know, in the description. What? So they thought he could have had, like, a kind of messed up version of this complex and that he could unconsciously be seeking revenge on the mother figures who disappointed him by associating with sex workers who, in his mind, were the worst possible women he could find. Charles had actually befriended a number of sex workers as well, Mary Lou and Susan Peterson being among them. Mm -hmm. Whatever his reasons were for wanting to kill, Charles had set himself up in a prime position to do so. His paper route gave him an excuse to be out late at night. He had numerous sex workers who trusted him and wouldn't think twice about going back to his home, and the house he lived in was still in his father's name and could not be traced back to him. The one thing Charles could not have accounted for, though, was that a few years earlier, Axton Schindler had chosen not to list his South Dallas address on his license as to keep the government out of his business, he said. Instead, Schindler had chosen to list his address as 1035 El Dorado Avenue. Of course. Yep. So, sorry, Charles, buddy. Couldn't account for the fact that Axton Schindler was a paranoid motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So once word of Shirley Williams' murder broke, the Star Motel became pretty much like a ghost town overnight. Some of the sex workers fled Dallas entirely, while others took it as their sign to just quit sex work completely. While cruising the bro- words, <laughs> while cruising the block around the star, Officer Smith and Matthews encountered a woman named Brenda White, who was another sex worker who frequented the area. White told Smith and Williams that a few days before, a trick in a dark station wagon had pulled up alongside her, and that she had gotten inside the car. She described this, she described him as a husky-looking white man with salt and pepper hair, cowboy boots, and blue jeans. He told Brenda that he had a spot that he could take her, and when she told him to let her out of the car because she refused to take her Johns anywhere besides a motel, this was kind of her means for her to try to protect herself, Mm -hmm. um, she told Smith and Williams, quote, a change came over his face. It was like anger, rage. She said, I hate whores. I'm going to kill all of you motherfucking whores. Wow. Before he wow. had, I know, there's some real anger there. That like, escalated quickly. Yes. And that's what she said. She told, like, Smith and Matt, it was like a switch flip. Mm-hmm. The second she was like, no, like, let me the fuck out of your car, he was like, no. Mm-hmm. And immediately anger, rage. Before he had a chance to grab her, though, she's smart. She had uh, pepper spray on her, and she fucking maced him in the face. Yeah, bitch. So she maces him, throws open the door of the car, jumps out, and she runs so fast out of the car that she actually, like, breaks off the heel of her shoe. And she told the officer, she was like, it was my favorite pair of shoes. No. (laughs) Me. Right? I almost got killed. Fuck, my shoes. (laughs) So White's story actually made Smith and Matthews think back to the story they'd heard from Veronica Rodriguez. Though they had thought she was lying, now they weren't so sure. They chose to have a background check run on Axton Schindler. They had his address searched, and it came back as owned by one Fred Albright. They searched Fred Albright further and found that he was also listed as owning properties in Cotton Valley, which happened to be the neighborhood that Mary Lou Pratt and Susan Peterson had been dumped in. After this discovery, the deputy constable who was helping Smith and Matthews, his name was Walter Cook, he said flat out that he thought they should look into somebody named Charles Albright. Charles was actually on Cook's radar because a few weeks earlier, Cook had answered a call from a woman who would not identify herself. 
Um, this woman said she had been friends with Mary Pratt, and though Pratt had, or in through Pratt, she had met a man whom she briefly dated. She said he was a very nice man, but he had an odd love for eyes. <laughs> Here we fucking go. She also happened to mention that he kept exacto blades in his attic. When Cook asked for the man's name, she told him it was Charles Albright. This led to Cook then searching up Charles in the system. You trippy motherfucker. And they found his address to be 1035 Eldorado Avenue. The police knew now that somehow Axton Schindler and Charles Albright were connected. Perhaps Albright could have been Schindler's friend, quote-unquote, that Veronica Rodriguez claimed had tried to kill her. They located an old mugshot of Albright's and realized that he also fit Brenda White's description to a T. Both Smith and Matthews were confident now that Charles Albright was the killer they were looking for. So like, shit, we got him. Got him. So Smith and Matthews then bring their theory to lead detective John Westphalen. Mm-hmm. After they presented their facts, Westphalen arranged for Brenda White to be brought in and shown a mugshot lineup. And immediately Brenda White pointed out Albright's mugshot. She's like, that one. That motherfucker right there. That's him. Mm-hmm. They also brought in Veronica Rodriguez. And when she saw Albright's mugshot in the lineup, she became visibly shaken and refused to identify anyone. Westphalen decided to try to crack Veronica himself having her taken to an interrogation room where he told her of how Mary Lou, Susan, and Shirley had been brutally murdered and how the police needed Veronica's help to identify their killer so he could be put away in prison forever. After this, like, this is finally what cracks her. Um, She picked out Charles' mugshot, identifying him as the man who had raped and tried to kill her. At 2.30 a.m. on March 22, 1991, a team of tactical officers kicked down the door of 1035 El Dorado Avenue and arrested Charles yeah, fucker. And he was like, li- he's still living with Dixie too. And in the social- she's probably like, she literally. They said that she like, cause it was like two thirty in the morning. So they basically kick in the door and like rip him out of bed. Pretty much. She was like, what the fuck? She was like, what the hell? And they said like, she literally like started crying. And she's like, there's no way he could do that. Well, I mean, you're with this person and they have you fooled. It's mm-hmm. hard to believe that they. Could. Yeah, and because like, you're not dead. Exactly, and he was. The thing about him too is he was super charismatic. They people usually are. really liked him. They usually are serial killers. People that are overly charismatic, serial overly killers. friendly, murderers, overly charming. Mm-hmm. 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 The men who are always like, "Let's go on a date." <laughs> if anybody ones. asks you on a date, they're serial, serial killer. killer. <laughs> serial killer. Run. <laughs> Anything on Tinder? Run. Run. <laughs> <laughs> or what's that other one? Bumble? Bumble. <laughs> Run. Bumble. Hinge. Anything. Get out of there. Farmers only. Farmers only. <laughs> Yo, farmers only. They got land. They're going to bury you. And you're They're going to feed you to the fucking pigs. They're going to pull a Herb Baumeister and, you know, grind your body up and use your bones as patio rock. <laughs> so when Charles was arrested, he clammed the fuck up and he refused to say a word to police um, and that continued as he was brought in to be interrogated by John Westphalen. The interrogation lasted for seven hours, and through the entirety of that seven hours, Charles did not crack a single bit. He didn't, like, make a fucking peep. He actually, like, acted that, he acted as if he had never even heard the names of the murder. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who that is. Basically, his, his, uh, uh, 
plan was deny, deny, deny. <laughs> deny. Like, I don't know that. I don't know what you're talking about. Deny. Deny, deny, deny. Deny till I die. <laughs> Literally, he said, deny till I die. Um, when Charles was being interrogated, police were searching through every square inch of his property. They searched the one that was in South Dallas that um, Axe and Schindler was living in, and they searched the house um, at 1035 El Dorado Avenue six separate times. The FBI even brought in a high-tech machine that could see through walls. <laughs> they were like, we got to find it. We got to find something. Um, although the searches produced an array of interesting items. Um, I feel like as, I need to get me one of those. Right? Right? Like, I want to see what's going on. And I want to walk through Save a Lot. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine if there's a fucking body in the screen, bro? Oh, my God. Herb! Herb is here! Herb Baumeister! <laughs> fucking Herb. Um, so, although the searches produced an array of interesting items, such as carpenters' woodworking blades, exacto blades, a copy of Grey's Anatomy, which must have been a book before it was a show, mm-hmm. at least a dozen, and at least a dozen true crime books, they never came up with the eyeballs. Because they were in the beds. They were probably in the Charles. <laughs> Ew, eyeball soup. Eyeball soup. Yeah, Heck. we never find out what happened to He doesn't, the like, eyes. say no. what? No. Fucker. No, we'll actually get into that at, like, the end of this episode, what he had to say about the eyes. Um, behind Charles's hand-built fireplace mantle, police discovered a hidden compartment filled with pistols and rifles. None, however, turned out to be the murder weapon. Police couldn't find anyone who would admit to seeing Charles with the three prostitutes on the night they were killed. Dixie claimed that on the nights in question, Charles did not leave the house early for his paper route and that he always came home on time. Veronica Rodriguez also flipped and decided to testify as a witness for the defense. She claimed that she and Albright had never been together and that Westphalen had coerced her into picking Albright's photograph from the lineup. Mm -hmm. Axton Schindler continued to deny that he had saved Rodriguez from Albright. He said a Hispanic man named Joe had brought her to his door. However, the prosecution had a controversial trump card up their sleeve. Toby Shook, the 33-year-old prosecutor working for the Dallas County District Attorney's Office, intended to use hair evidence to link Charles to the murders. And this is controversial because hair evidence is not as strong as, like, DNA evidence, like blood, saliva, whatever it might be, skin cells, because all they do with hair if there's not, like, a bald at the mm-hmm. end of it to actually, like, DNA test for, um, you just look at it under a microscope and check for similarities between one hair to another. And it's controversial because, reasonably, a hair from, like, your head mm-hmm. and a hair from another, like, blonde person's head mm-hmm. could theoretically look the same, look the same under a microscope. Mm-hmm. Um, days after Albright's arrest, the city's forensic lab reported that hairs found on the bodies of the dead sex workers were similar to hair samples taken from Albright's head in pubic area. As evidence goes, hairs are not as conclusive as fingerprints, but the prosecution was determined to make the evidence as strong as they could, and they just, they had their lab technicians running tests. <laughs> All day, running tests. The lab technician said that the hairs found on the blankets in the back of Albright's pickup truck were similar to hair samples from the first two um, women killed. Hairs found in Albright's vacuum cleaner matched the hair from the third woman killed, Shirley. Mm -hmm. Officers Matthew and Smith also located a sex worker named Tina Connolly. 
who claimed that Albright was one of her regular afternoon customers on Fort Worth Boulevard. She never saw him cruise after dark, except for one time, and this was the night that Shirley Williams disappeared. Connolly took Matthews and Smith to a secluded field near Fort Worth Boulevard, where Albright used to take her for sex. There they spotted a yellow raincoat, just like the one Williams had last been seen wearing, and a blanket. Hairs on the coat and blanket matched Albright's hair. Brian Lawler, who was Albright's defense attorney, attacked the prosecution's case, stating it was all based on flimsy circumstantial evidence. He also tried to shift blame for the murders from Charles and onto Axton Schindler, who had suspiciously fled town before the trial began. Um, Detective Westphal, though, had already spent hours interrogating Schindler to determine if, you know, even if he did not do it, like, they wanted to figure out if he knew that Charles was killing women in, you know, the properties that he was renting out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he basically, like, completely ruled Axe and Schindler out. Mm-hmm. There was a small connection um, that they found. They found a forty-four caliber bullet box behind the house that he was living in. Mm-hmm. But they thought that, you know, it was just as likely as Charles could have planted it there as it was, you know, belonging to Axe and Schindler. So they're like, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't really mean anything because Albright owned the house. It was reasonable to think that he could have planted it there. Right. Also, none of the women who were shown mm-hmm. Axton Schindler's photo could identify him, yet they could all identify Charles Albright. Most importantly, no one who had ever met Axton Schindler could say that he had any of the skills necessary to perfectly and almost surgically cut out the victim's eyes. Charles Albright did not testify in his own defense at the trial. He just sat quietly and watched the proceedings, fucking twiddling his thumbs. Yeah, you fucking guilty piece of shit. Yeah, right? He's like, well, anything I say is not going to exonerate me because I'm guilty as fuck, so I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) In his closing statement, Toby Shook called Charles, quote, this former biology teacher, bullfighter, college-ace smart man who just can't seem to have a job. Fucking read him to filth. Read him Mm -hmm. to filth, Toby. Mm -hmm. Um, And also warned the jury not to underestimate Charles. If he ever got out of prison, there was no doubt that Charles would kill again and not make the same mistakes that got him caught this time. On December 19, 1991, the jury returned with a guilty verdict and a sentence of life imprisonment. Ultimately, he was only convicted for the murder of Shirley Williams. Charles's defense attorney was stunned by this verdict. He had been so confident that he would be able to get Charles acquitted, and he called the trial a, quote, miscarriage of justice. Like, bro, you're client guilty. He's so guilty. But yeah, the evidence was circumstantial, but like, nobody else was even considered. Like, he couldn't, like, even his defense attorney, well, I guess Axton Schindler, they're like, it could have been him. But like, homeboy did not have the skills necessary to be cutting out people's eyeballs like that. Mm-hmm. And like, Charlie with his fucking hobby of taxidermy, he was cutting eyeballs out all the time. <sighs> so. Yeah, the attorney was like, it's a miscarriage justice. I hate people. Literally. Um, Since his conviction, Charles Albright did finally confess to murdering Mary Lou Pratt, Susan Peterson, and Shirley Williams. God bless. Though he insists that it was not him who would cut out their eyes. He alleged, quote, I have never touched an eyeball. I truly think, and this may sound far-fetched, that the boys in the forensics lab cut out those eyes. Are you fucking kidding me? I think the police said, we want some sort of mutilation. So he just said, wasn't me. I didn't do it. He said, I killed those women, but I didn't cut their eyes out. Like, bro. Like, at this point, <laughs> just admit to it. Literally. Like, you already admitted to killing them. Mm-hmm. 
It can't like, get any worse. Seriously. Like, <laughs> you're already going to die in prison. Like, exactly. Like, you're already never getting out. You might as well just, like, and be like, yeah, I did it. I cut their eyes out. Then people, motherfuckers be scared of you in prison. Yeah, right. Because you cut people's eyes out. You cut people's eyes out. You might as well just submit to it. Exactly. I like, I don't understand, like, so the only time I kind of understand why... Like murderers will confess to one port, port, <laughs> one port, one port, <laughs> one part of a crime and not another is if it has to do with rape, because rapists don't do well in prison. Mm-hmm. So a lot of like serial killers who you know rape and murder their victims will say, "Oh yeah, I killed her, but I didn't rape her." So they'll take credit for the murder portion, mm-hmm. but not. The rape portion because they know if they say oh yeah I, i'm a rapist that you gonna get raped yeah prison justice is <laughs> <laughs> prison justice is gonna come back around and it's gonna get you mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe he thought that if he admitted to cutting their eyes out that like somebody's gonna cut his eyes right out? i don't i don't know what his his thought process was with that but yeah he's like i didn't do it, it wasn't me like bro come on he said we'll give me. it up so I shot them in the head and I dumped their body, but fuck, I didn't cut their eyeballs out. <laughs> give it up. Literally, give it up. Like, you're, you're caught at this point. You're in mm-hmm. prison forever. Mm-hmm. Just admit it. Literally. You're you like, stupid fuck. <laughs> you stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charles Albright, he was in prison for the remainder of his life. He died on August 22nd, 2020, at the oh. age of 87. Oh, wow. Yeah. You made it through a little bit of COVID. Uh, yeah, right? I don't Stupid think it was COVID camp. that got him, though. I think he was the oldest fuck. 87. <laughs> 87. He made it there. Stupid. Yeah. At least he died in prison, you stupid fuck. You stupid fuck. I was almost hoping that he would have, like, got got, but, you know. At least he's dead. At yeah. least he stayed in prison for the rest of his life. Absolutely. He did not get to see the free world. Nope. Which, like, you know. As he should not have. No. God, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God, no. It's like, the pro- like, Toby Shook, the prosecutor, was right. Like, he was very, very smart. Smart enough that the only evidence they were able to get to connect him was circumstantial in the hair evidence. Mm-hmm. And if he would have, you know, A, not gotten convicted, or B... Like, got parole or something. He'd probably still be out here murking people. Literally, undoubtedly, he would have he would have started killing again, and he would have mm-hmm. been smarter about it. Yeah. And oh, like, yeah. For sure. So, uh, it's definitely, like, con- I can see why this is, like, the conviction is controversial, mm-hmm. but at the same time, clearly it was right because he admits to it mm-hmm. down the line after he's already in prison. Yeah. It's like, yeah, was it controversial for how they got him there? Maybe, but they were right. Right. Like fuckers i know yeah people have like differing opinions on like circumstantial evidence but if a circumstantial evidence is strong enough like there's no reasonable doubt here you have all these women who work in the area who knew all the victims and they all fucking point the finger at charles albright the same person the same like literally what are the chances that every single one of those women is going to pick him out and they even showed them a photo of Axton Schindler. And like, they're like, we don't know who that is. We've never mm-hmm. seen that man before in our life. Show a picture of Charles Albright. Oh, yeah, I know him. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, Tina Connolly, the sex worker who, you know, said he was one of her clients. Like, the fact that she was able to literally take them. I think this is why he only got convicted for the murder of Shirley Williams was because of Tina Connolly. Mm-hmm. They found the blanket in Shirley's raincoat mm-hmm. with his hair on it. Mm-hmm. And... They're like, well, we can definitively connect him to this because we know this is Shirley's raincoat. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! Ow, my toe! <laughs> Ow! 
add that to the motherfucking list. Fuck, I know. You're... Oh, look at the little loaf. Oh, is he loafing on the? Oh, I gotta get the new cardboard scratch bounds. They've mutilated those things. Oh, but yeah, he's so cute. Fuck Charles Albright. He was weird. Yeah, and apparently fuck my toe too. <laughs> fuck your toe. Too. <laughs> so to make Autumn feel better about her toe, go follow us on Instagram. <laughs> We've actually gotten quite a few like influx. We're almost at six hundred followers right now. Ayo. And we just hit five hundred a couple weeks ago. Yo. So thank you to anybody who's recently followed the Instagram. We love you. Thank you so much. Um, the Instagram is at TSRH Podcast. We would love to see you there. Shoot us a DM. Comment on the photos. Like them. Like, like them. That'd be great. Like the posts. Also, give us five stars on whatever app you're listening, app you're to, listening this on. to this on. That would be great. We would appreciate that. It really does help us out. You know, people see we got a good rating on podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you prefer Facebook, we got a Facebook page. It's also at TSRH Podcast. We post the same shit on Facebook as we do on Instagram. Um, if you want to email us, you want to send us case recommendations, we also have email. It's tsrhpodcast at gmail.com. And I think, yeah, those are all social medias. I did Instagram, Facebook, email. Perfect. Beautiful. Great. Great. Well, <laughs> if you don't made it this far, thanks. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Yeah. We love you. We do. We do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's time to end this. This is a long episode. Well, you got anything else to say to the people on them? She's yawning. No. <laughs> nope, I don't. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.